0: He is risen. risen. Amen. This is the central claim of Christian faith. Jesus is alive. Death does not and will not have the final say. This shows us That the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, that we prayed together only moments ago, is coming true. His kingdom has come, and his will is being done on earth, as it is in heaven. Because he is risen. He is risen indeed. If you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 is where we will be reading this morning uh, as we encounter this glorious news of life. John chapter 20. As you're turning there uh, on Friday night, uh, many of us gathered here to remember Jesus' journey to the cross. The wilderness of the cross. And during our time together, we were invited to go on our own wilderness journey of sorts. Uh, for a few minutes, as we gathered, we stepped outside and wandered through the grounds here, over to the garden perhaps, back where the trees are, uh, to, to walk around in our own wilderness, as we contemplated Christ's wilderness journey to the cross. And we each brought back an item from the wilderness to bring here and lay on this table that you see in front of you. And so as we came back from that wilderness journey on Friday night, this table was filled with things like twigs, stones, fallen branches and leaves, uprooted plants, dirt. And isn't that what wilderness feels like? Fallen, uprooted, lifeless. This is what It is like to be in the wilderness. This is what it was like as Jesus walked toward the cross. He fell under its weight. He was uprooted as he hung there, and he became lifeless as he breathed his last. And yet, as you look at the table this morning, You'll see that it is newly and freshly covered in flowers, fresh blossoms, signs of new life. Because Jesus is not dead, He is alive. Though He journeyed to the wilderness of the cross, He has now set a table for us in resurrection. There is a table in the wilderness. There is a place of life that is greater than death. And so this morning in our passage, in John chapter 20, we will witness someone weeping in the wilderness of death. And then we will watch as she becomes the first witness of the bountiful table of resurrection. And so let's read together. John chapter 20, will begin in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it? you were looking for. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of life. And we rejoice in the news of resurrection. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is such an incredible, moving encounter that we've just read. So let's walk back through the passage and look at Mary's experience on that first Easter morning. Perhaps we will find some of ourselves there as well. Verse 11 begins, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. This is Mary Magdalene. In Luke chapter 8, we learn that she once lived a very troubled and oppressed life until she encountered Jesus, at which point seven demons came out of her which is a way of saying that she was made completely well. From that point on, she, along with some other women, traveled with Jesus and his other disciples and helped to support his ministry from her own means. Her name, Mary the Magdalene, might be an indication of where she's from, uh, a town called Magdala, But some scholars suggest that it could have been a nickname that was given to her by Jesus. Right After all, Jesus was known to give his disciples nicknames. He called Simon Peter, which means the rock. He called James and John Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Based on... The Greek grammar that's used to describe Mary, the Magdalene, some scholars suggest that Jesus may have called Mary Magdalene, which means the tower. The tower. Mary the tower. And she truly was a tower. She was an important person in Jesus' ministry, and she not only supported him in his life, but all four Gospels tell us that she continued following Jesus even in his death. As she stood at the foot of the cross, remaining with him there, and as she comes to the tomb after he has died. Her life had been saved and transformed by Jesus, and so now in his death, she stands weeping outside the tomb. Now, her weeping is not only because of his death. It's intensified because it looks like an additional loss has occurred, right? If you look back up at verse 1, Of John chapter 20 it says early on the first day of the week while it was still dark Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one Jesus loved and said they've taken the Lord out of the tomb And we don't know where they have put him. We don't know where they have put him. So not only had Jesus been taken from them as he was killed on the cross, but now his body has been taken from them as well. Right? It's one traumatic event on top of another. And there's actually a a psychological term for this kind of experience. It's called ambiguous loss. Ambiguous loss. It's a kind of loss that occurs when there's no opportunity for closure, for any final connection of any kind. Right? Funerals are psychologically significant because they provide space for that final connection, that final moment of closure that we so desperately need, right? Whenever I was in college, my grandmother died very suddenly and unexpectedly. It was a shock to our whole family, and my grandmother was very much the glue that kept our family together in so many ways. She was the master of the five-minute phone call. I mean, she would call you, and in just a few minutes, she knew your deepest, darkest secrets. She knew all of your greatest joys. She knew exactly where you were and what you were doing. And somehow in that amount of time, she also let you know that you were deeply loved and supported, right? She was a master of the five-minute phone call. My older brother during that season was traveling often. He's still traveling often for work. And much, many of us had no idea where he was at any given moment. But Grandma knew because she would call him, talk for five minutes, and she knew every detail of his life because that's what she was. I'm telling you, if the FBI or CIA had hired my grandmother, <laughs> there would be no crime in all the world, right? She would have solved everything. She was a master of that. She was incredible. She was thoughtful. And she had suddenly been taken from our family. And so I remember traveling home for the funeral service. My brothers and I all got suits and ties and we all shaved right uh to to honor my grandmother she loved a, a clean shaven face um that may have been one of the last times that i didn't have a beard um but we all shaved and and wore our suits and ties and and went to the funeral but but even then it all still felt very unreal uh, it it just felt so surreal and and, and uncertain But her funeral included a viewing. Towards the end of the service, her casket was open, and we were able to go walk up and have our final moments with her. And I remember walking forward and standing there in front of her and seeing my grandmother laying there. I reached out and held her hand for a moment. And in that moment, this abstract information, your grandmother is dead, became real. It it moved from ambiguous loss to a tangible loss that I could see and know and experience. It didn't make it any less of a loss but it provided a kind of grounding and closure. This is why funerals are significant. But ambiguous loss is the kind of loss where this kind of closure is not possible. It's losses like a miscarriage or a death overseas when the body was not able to be recovered. Or losses from a large-scale event, like the earthquake in Turkey earlier this year. Or 9-11, where people are lost and never found. It's the kind of loss like when you learn that an old school friend has died and you haven't been in touch with them for years. You feel the loss, but you can't really touch it or know it. These are all different kinds of ambiguous loss. Loss without closure. And that's what Mary is experiencing here. The tomb has been opened. The body has been removed. Not only had Jesus died, but now his body is missing. And the darkness of one loss has become even darker. And John manages to point this out. Did you catch that? Back in in verse 1, a moment ago from John chapter 20, he begins by saying, while it was still dark. While it was still dark. And I don't think it's an accident on John's part Point out the darkness of this moment. We need to remember how John begins his whole story of Jesus, how he begins his whole telling of the gospel all the way back to John chapter 1. It begins this way In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and that life was the light. Of all mankind, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so here, just after Jesus' death, John reminds us of this theme of darkness. And John is about to show us how the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. But for now, Mary is still in the darkness. She's still standing outside the tomb, and she's weeping for her double loss. He has died, and now his body is missing. And so the text continues in the second part of verse 11. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. Now you would think that a sight like this would perk her up, right? Uh, you know, these two messengers in white might just be a clue that the light is shining in the dark. But darkness has a way of clouding our vision. Darkness has a way of, of swallowing us up and surrounding us completely Darkness easily becomes all-encompassing so that we end up missing those glimmers of light that do shine. Mary has gone to the tomb, a a place of death, and when she unexpectedly finds life there, at first, she misses it. She doesn't see it. She's expecting death, and so death is what she assumes. She's expecting death, and so death is what she sees. She overlooks the glimmer of light. She sees these angels in the tomb, but she is still distraught. And so they ask her, Woman, why are you crying? Woman, why are you crying? And through continued tears, she replies, They have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. Now this morning, I'd like to let these angels ask us the very same question. Why are you crying? Why are you crying? What tears are there in your life? What losses have you experienced or perhaps are you still experiencing? Where does that ache in your soul come from? Why are you crying? What darkness is it that fills and surrounds your life and keeps you from being able to see glimmers of light. Maybe there are broken relationships that fill you with doubt. Maybe there's something that you've done that fills you with shame. Maybe there's some kind of ambiguous loss that you've encountered. And it's left you without closure. And so it persists. It continues on. Why are you crying? What are your tears about? After Mary answers the angels, verse 14 continues. It says she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize It was Jesus, right? Once more, the depths of darkness have blinded her from seeing light. The the very one who is light. And then Jesus asks her the very same questions the angels had asked. Why are you crying? But Jesus adds a second question to it. He also asks her, who is it you're looking for? Who is it you're looking for? And this second question is also an important one for us to consider. Who or what are you looking for? Uh, Whatever darkness that you're surrounded by in your life, what is it that you think will finally break it? What is it that you think will finally make that darkness go away? What is it that you think will finally make everything better again? If only this were to happen. Mary responded to the question, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I'll go get him. And it's an honest answer that she gives, but it's mistaken. It's a mistaken answer. And so maybe our answers to that question are also mistaken. Perhaps we too are mistaken about what it is that will make us finally well. Right? If only this circumstance changed. If only that opportunity came through. If only this person would finally do that thing. Right? We can make our lists of things that we think would solve our life. We all think that we know what will make us well. Mary thought that recovering Jesus' dead body would finally bring her the closure that she needed. But she was mistaken about many things because the darkness had blinded her. You see, Jesus wasn't missing. And he wasn't dead. He was right there with her. But because of that darkness, she didn't see it. What would finally get through to her? What would finally cut through this darkness that surrounded Mary? One word. It's just one word. Verse 16 Jesus said to her, Mary. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. What was it that finally broke through the darkness surrounding her? A single word. Mary. And Jesus calls her name and the spell of darkness breaks. She turns toward him. She cries out, Rabboni, which is how a disciple would address their teacher. This is what I want you to hear today. This morning, Jesus is calling your name. This morning, right now, Jesus is calling your name. Sandra, Sank, Orva, Peter, Willie, Kareen, Deanna, Jerry. I could keep going. This morning, Jesus is calling your name. Whatever darkness it is that has surrounded you, whatever despair has closed in on you, whatever spell it is that's kept you captive, Jesus is calling to you right now, this very day, to break you free from it. You might think, no, Not me, right? I'm the exception. You don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know what I've done. But hear me, if Jesus can send seven demons out of Mary, he can deal with whatever you're dealing with. Jesus is calling your name today to break through the haze so that you might finally see the light. And Jesus does not only call us as individuals. Jesus is calling the Federal Way Church of Christ. He's calling the name of this community today as well. Perhaps some of us have thought things like, "Ah, oh, this church is, is so small." How can we accomplish anything in God's kingdom? You know, look at all the other churches doing all these other things. Perhaps some of us love this community, but feel lost, feel unsure. Where are we going? What are we doing? Perhaps some have thought, I'm, I'm new to this church. I'm, I'm new to faith. I, I don't know what I can really offer in this place. Perhaps there are some who just feel small and helpless. Like, you show up, but you don't really matter. You don't really know what you contribute here. Every one of these things is a lie. Jesus is calling out to this community today by name, the Church of Christ in Federal Way. That includes you. Jesus says, I love you guys. I love what you're doing, I love how you're seeking me. You are a part of this community. And your presence here matters. Your presence here matters. You actually are shaping this place when you're here. And you might not know it, and you might not feel it, but you matter. Every time you're here, every time we come together as a part of this community, your presence matters He's calling out to us. He's affirming his love for us. We have a part to play in God's kingdom. So let us respond like Mary, Lord, Jesus, teacher. Jesus is not missing. And Jesus is not dead. He is here and he is risen. Now there's one more part to this Easter encounter between Mary and Jesus. Jesus has called her name. And she has seen. She finally sees him. And she has responded to him. Perhaps she has run to embrace him or fallen to his feet and laid her hands there. And in verse 17... Jesus says, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Now i got to be honest, this verse is kind of confusing. What is Jesus saying? What is Jesus talking about? But I want to share at least two things in verse 17. First, hear Jesus' message. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. This is amazing. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has extensively talked About his father. He's talked about saying what his father says, doing what his father does, more than 30 times in the Gospel of John. Jesus speaks of God the Father with the phrase, my father. But did you hear what he says here? For the very first time, he says, my father and your father. My God and your God. Jesus' death and resurrection has changed something fundamental about reality. God is no longer a God out there. God is no longer a father, far away. He's our father. He's our God. He is your father. And you are his beloved child. And this too points back to how John opened and began the story of Jesus. In the Gospel of John, back in John chapter 1, he describes Jesus coming to earth by saying he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Jesus came to make the Father known and to make us children of the Father. And now through his death, And resurrection, he has accomplished this. So Jesus now says, My Father and your Father, my God and your God, Jesus has shown us the Father, and we are his beloved children. This is good news. It's a sweet truth worth savoring and dwelling on. This truth is one that we return to every time we gather to worship together. It's, it's a truth that we dwell in through prayer and devotion and reflection each and every day. It's such good news, we just want to hold on to it, right? Right? but sometimes we want to hold on to it with tight fists, right? We want to hold on to this God who is our Father. But as good as this news is, those tight fists are still a sign of fear. You see, once Mary saw Jesus, she held on to him because she didn't want to lose him again. All of her dreams had come true and she wasn't going to let that go. She was afraid that he might be killed or go missing again. So she wanted to cling on to him with tight fists. But that fear has no place in our lives as beloved children of God. So Jesus says to her, Do not hold on to me. Go instead. To my brothers and tell them. Go instead to my brothers and tell them. This news of Jesus' resurrection and God's love is good news. It's so good, we want to hold on to it, we want to reflect on it, we never want to lose it. But Jesus says it's so good that it's too good to keep to ourselves. And so he says to Mary, go and tell. Go and tell. This is news to be shared. And perhaps we're not afraid of losing Jesus or losing God's love. We're just afraid of sharing this news with others. But God's perfect love casts out that fear too. And people need to know. People need to know. Our families need to know that this Father is their Father. Our friends and neighbors need to know that this God is their God. Our world needs to know that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We all need to know that because of Jesus, we are God's dearly beloved children. So don't just sit there holding on to this news. Go and tell. Go and tell. And so the final verse of our passage, verse 18, says, Mary, Magdalene, Mary the tower, went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. In that moment, Mary went from being a watchtower, keeping watch over Jesus at the cross and at the tomb, to being a light tower, shining his light to all who would see as she announces this good news of his resurrection. And so Mary became the very first person to preach on Easter Sunday. Hers was the first Easter sermon. Mary became the apostle to the apostles. And she would share this good news that Jesus had sent her with to them. And so who is Jesus sending you to? Who is Jesus sending you to share this good news with? Jesus tells us, go and tell. He's called each one of us by name. He's plucked you out from the darkness of grief. So go, call others by their name and tell them the story of this light that shines. You are deeply, truly loved by the God who created all things and has power even over death. This is the truest thing about you. It's the truest thing about all reality. This is why he calls your name. And this is why we proclaim he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.